Welcome to Olin, a straight shooting science-based podcast about periods, fertility, and nurturing health outside of unrealistic beauty expectations. We will mostly, but not exclusively, focus on hypothalamic amenorrhea, HA, a component of the female athlete triad and relative energy deficiency in sport. I'm Dr. Nicola Rinaldi, scientist and lead author of the book, No Period, Now What?, I specialize in helping people understand how their eating, exercise, and lifestyle habits are keeping them from hormonal health and their best life. My work focuses on regaining periods, improving fertility, and breaking free of the rules of underlying diet culture. My name is Florence Gillet. I'm a certified eating psychology coach and the founder of beyondbodyimage.com. I specialize in mental recovery, helping people let go of toxic health beliefs to finally feel at ease in their bodies at any size. Every two weeks, the All In podcast brings you real recovery stories, expert insights, and new scientific research on HA, hormonal health, and fertility with an unmissable touch of body respect and women's empowerment. Just a reminder that this podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and their guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. It is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Music by the Andy Shulman Band, available on Spotify. And hello, Nicola, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, unlike our normal chats late at night, this is now very early in the morning for me. So um, I... I, I I feel pretty good, but a little, little sleepy still. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, you know, we try all sorts of different combinations, right? Uh, eight hours apart from each yes. other, uh, which is not too bad. I mean, I find that in the summer it's, it's kind of easier in a way because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you waking up early, it's probably already daytime now. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So lovely. Is gorgeous. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Yeah, it's getting super hot here. So mm. we're slowly transitioning to indoors. Uh -huh. <laughs> like just like winter for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we're we're all we're all getting out as much as we can because it's finally yes. like this the sun is out and it's warm. So Yeah. Well, you enjoy that sun for us because we're burning <laughs> here. Um, so uh, we wanted today to do a little episode on body comparison uh, mm -hmm. because summer is coming and at least in our yes. hemisphere. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and summer is this really beautiful season. I really love summer, but it's also the dreaded bikini body and all the messaging around how to look a certain way when you're going to be dressed with less mm -hmm. clothes than in the winter. Oh my gosh, so much, and yes. Yeah, the, so we felt like, you know, this was a good timing to come out with a body comparison episode. And um, I think um, we're going to start with the first question that you had prepared, Nicola, yeah. right? Yes. So one of the major reasons that people fall into the trap of disordered eating is that they feel dissatisfied in their body in some way um, and think that restricting their eating or exercising a lot can help them to achieve this sort of ideal body. Um, that was definitely part of my story. I had fitness goals that turned out to be mostly about how my body looked like wanting to have the, you know, that six pack abs. Um, so what are the, some of the key factors that you see in your work as driving this feeling of dissatisfaction? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, 
mostly I work with women, right? And I'm not saying that uh, people identifying as men or non-binary don't don't go through these phases, but I'm going to talk most likely about women and people identifying as women. I think we live in a culture where most of the value seen in women is attached to their appearance. It's mm-hmm. just the reality of what we live. And I think everybody listening to us who identifies as a woman can, can see this happening, right? That we mostly, even when we raise girls, for example, they were most likely to be hearing, you're pretty, look at you, mm-hmm. this and that. Mm-hmm. And boys are much more educated in the sense of how strong and smart and creative they're going to be. So it's much more about skills and girls is much more about their kind of beauty. And, you know, it's been like that for centuries, right? So if you think of absolutely uh, Egypt and the pyramids, it was already, you know, Cleopatra was seen as this amazingly beautiful woman. So it's always been something that is seen as a power for women to be beautiful. Um, I think also in the pandemic, most specifically, body dissatisfaction has gone to a whole higher level for many of us. And, you know, it's a kind of bunch of factors. Uh, and I, I'm saying this also as a volunteer for an eating disorder association in the Middle East. I know this is what has been seen also at BEAT in the UK or at NIDA uh-huh. in the US. They've suddenly gotten like thousands of calls uh, during the pandemic for help. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And the reality is it's a kind of mix of conditions. The fact that obviously there was high anxiety because we were suddenly our lives were kind of turned upside down, like yep. without any warning whatsoever. Um, there's a sense of isolation that many of us have experienced and um, really having no control over the situation. Um, being isolated and confined at home, potentially with foods that might not be, you know, the most fresh or uh, looking for foods that will give us comfort Uh And I don't Uh don't think there's anything bad in that, but obviously people then got scared that they would gain weight. There was a lot of messaging about that as well. Like the, you know, lots of stuff about the quote unquote quarantine 15 or quarantine 19 and, you know, all of that, all of that messaging. So I, I, I don't know about you, but now I see like a lot of people coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, it's weird. Like I've lost my period in... July 2020 or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, September, December, like literally they started this whole new routine in the, in the midst of confinement because they were scared that they would have less physical activity, that they would not be able to go on with their lives as they usually do and be active and that they would maybe eat more and that shock horror, they might end up heavier at the end of it. While if you think about it, if we all survived this pandemic, that would be amazing, right? This is like our mental health has gone through so much and who cares that we gained a bit of weight, but we live in this culture where weight gain is really demonized by any way, shape or form. So um, yeah, we know that COVID definitely heightened the body dissatisfaction that we all felt. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I like now is that what we start seeing in research related to public health, for example, is that public health uh, researchers start more and more to see that body dissatisfaction is really should be at the core of public health policies. Because what happens when you have body dissatisfaction is that you're more prone to depression, 
Uh-huh. You're more prone to eating disorders, to uh-huh. what we call unhealthy weight control behaviors, which, you know, yes. is skipping meals, smoking, purging, all of these really dangerous ways of trying to control what your food intake might be. Um, We know so that body dissatisfaction in young girls, and this is something that comes from a Dove research that I found was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Body dissatisfaction in teens, for example, leads these girls to raise their hand less in class because they're scared of speaking up and bringing Mm -hmm. attention to their bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, It also means that they will be less, less assertive. So if somebody is going to kind of push them into doing something they're not too comfortable with, they might not say no. They, mm-hmm. you know, and so you might end up being more promiscuous, for example, or not asking of your partner to be really, uh, to be following a certain set of boundaries that you set together because you don't actually speak up in the same way. And then obviously, wow. we've all felt it with mm-hmm. it is that we opt out of some life activities when we have body dissatisfaction. We yep. might be invited to a pool party in the summer and decide not to go because we feel really uncomfortable about showing our bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people actually decline to go to the doctor because they feel like the doctor is only going to bring on the kind of weight loss message to them if they live in a larger body, which is terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, body dissatisfaction is really super problematic. And I'm so glad that it starts to be more mentioned in in studies and research and given. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that it could have so many wide reaching effects. I think that's really, um, it's kind of mind blowing and, you know, it, it really speaks to how important it is for each of us to do the work in ourselves to get away from that, as well as to help those around us to feel more comfortable in their bodies. So what are, what are some of the things that you, that you might suggest to people to sort of help, um, get out of this mindset of focusing so much on our bodies and how they are, how we're perceiving their flaws. Yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, when I have clients coming up and saying, I can't help but compare myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, you know, again, the environment we live in uh, because of COVID as well, being more on social media is not helping with that either because we spend a lot of time actually on visual-based media where we look at other people and compare. And we may know that the the bodies that we see are heavily retouched and transformed and photoshopped and that people only post their best pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't help but compare anyway, right? So we know cognitively what is going on, but emotionally we actually still compare ourselves to those images so one of the first thing that I would say to do is to really remember that you changing your body is not going to change people's opinions about you and that you cannot really control other people's opinions about Mm -hmm. you because I think that's something that once you put that down as a like hard rule that you say like I'm just not gonna focus on controlling something that I just don't have a grasp over. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I, I mean, at least for me, I think it was quite powerful to remember that, to think like I can change myself and I can do these things, but is it really gonna change like what's what people think of me? 
probably not, right? So yeah. the idea that what is it that I can control, right? Mm. So what I can control is how I take care of myself, how I feed myself properly, what health behaviors I'm going to put in place, like really mm-hmm. just um, not putting ideas into somebody else's head, because that's the other thing with comparison. We tend to go into the world and then imagine what the others are going to think. Oh, about yes. Us. Uh-huh. Yep. And we totally put ideas into their heads. Like we don't know when they're thinking because yeah. we don't have a control over that. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Like, is this something you can kind of relate to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the changes that I've sort of come into since recovering from HA is just feeling like I'm going out into the world as me um, and I do the things that make me feel good, like dyeing my hair blue or whatever (laughs) color I may choose. And I don't actually care what other people think about it because what somebody walking down the street thinks about my hair or my body or my face or, you know, the fact that I never wear makeup, like has zero bearing on my life. And I think that's something, that's definitely something that I've come to learn through this recovery journey is really focusing on what makes me feel good and happy about myself, as opposed to thinking about it in terms of like, if I do this, then people on the streets that I don't even know that have no bearing on my life uh, might think badly of me. It's like, you know, it actually doesn't matter what they think. No, it doesn't. They have. Yeah. And I think for the people uh, who really matter to you, it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember in recovery feeling terrified about people are going to think that I'm letting myself go, right? Mm -hmm. This idea Mm -hmm. of she's not controlling her weight like she used to. She's not this kind of perfection, you know, personified. And, And that was so stressful to me. But the reality is if you look at your direct circle of people, who really matters to you and who you really matter to, they don't care like what your hair color is or whether you're larger or thinner. They might actually even be concerned if you lose weight. They might say more like, hang on, what is going on? And that's definitely the experience I've had at the time. Mm -hmm. People used to say like, what is happening with you? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm just getting healthier, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. But um, I think it's, uh, yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I, don't don't I hope you don't mind me saying that but we're both in our 40s I find mm-hmm. that it was easier to do with age mm-hmm. it's definitely yes. something that yes. you know not caring about somebody else's opinion was not something that was easier to do for me when I was younger yeah uh, now there's this sense of I start to be invisible anyway so <laughs> <laughs> well you know I think that there's also a lot of ageism out there. And honestly, I have absolutely no problem with people knowing how old I am because I'm no. not ashamed to be as old as I am. And, you know, I think that's that's just another part of how we are um, sort of not supposed to be ourselves. We're supposed to be these perfect, pristine 20-year-olds for our entire lives. And so we're supposed to inject ourselves with Botox and dye our hair and, you know, all these things to, to not be ourselves, but to be... Yeah someone else. And of course, that's all money that we're spending to do that. Um, yeah. 
And it's completely yes. unrealistic, right? Yeah. Totally unrealistic. Like we would, uh, and, and again, like this is where you see women are treated completely different than men. I just, mm -hmm. it's funny, I just posted this morning uh, a story uh, on my Beyond Body Image uh, Instagram because yesterday I went to the hairdresser and I, I struggle to dye my hair uh, at this stage because I really have allergies to the color, you know, to the mm -hmm. dye. I react to it really badly. I get like itchy scalp for weeks and it's just really not worth it and so I was talking to the hairdresser about like how can we maybe figure out a way to make it more harmonious that it kind of grows out like less like two color two tones like uh -huh. that. and and then she was telling me like well no there's not, not really much we can do because also I'm not totally gray yet so you know it's kind of why would you really do anything right now so I was like okay I'm just gonna live with it no big deal and she was telling me you know I also react really badly to those dyes and what mm -hmm. I do is I take antihistamine after I dyed my hair every six weeks and I was like uh -huh. oh, that is crazy right that women like they're they've internalized so much that their appearance is so important that they were they would um knowingly suffer mm -hmm. and then take medication pain medication for that just to have their gray hair covered Uh, if you think about the same situation for men, men going gray, they're like, they're like completely glorified. It's like, yes. oh, he's becoming so sexy, you know, with gray hair and gray beard and whatever. And for us, it's like, what? I would have to suffer through like weeks of pain because I just want to pretend like I'm younger than I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was, I was like, that's messed up, right? So... Yeah. Yep. So Moving one, on. one, one, one other thing that I wanted to mention is that there is a chapter in No Period Now What where we asked questions of partners of people with HA, yeah. and um, we found very much that the the their opinions were actually that it was really great that their that their partner was able to go out to eat more and more fun and more yes. happy when they weren't controlling food and exercise. So we think in ourselves that, you know, we have to look the certain way and therefore we have to um, restrict our food and exercise all the time. And we're doing this for our partners or for the people around us, but actually the people around us would prefer to spend quality time with us rather Absolutely. than have us out running for hours a day. And, you know, that goes for our children and our, our partners and parents and other people in our lives. So I think, again, like totally. thinking about thinking about other people's opinions in that way of wanting to spend time with you rather than wanting you to look a certain way, I think is, is also really important. And if anybody listening has a partner that really wants them to look a certain way, instead of spending time with them, I would really reconsider that relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry mm -hmm. to say this is, this is not easy. And I, I know it's, uh, it's probably hard to maybe come out of relationships in, in certain situations, but really if it's somebody that's going to put more importance in the way you look or the, what you weigh than, than interacting with you and being with you as a life partner, it's probably not worth investing in that relationship anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's number one is that the idea that when we compare, like, are we actually putting ideas into somebody else's mind and, and these are probably not right anyway. And we can't, what we can control is how we feel, what we do to take care of ourselves. Um, not in the sense of, I want to change my appearance, but in the sense of how yeah. do I feel 
in my body. Um, the second thing is to witness body diversity. Um, and this is a little bit what we discussed also in the beginning is that we tend to compare because 99% of the images that we see, especially on social media, represent less than 1% of the population. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when we, and even that 1% of the population is not photoshopped and retouched. So even the girl on the picture doesn't look like the picture, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, there's some, um, there's some times when people some celebrities have sort of shown what they actually look like versus what the photoshopped retouched picture looks like. And it, it's, it's quite astonishing the, yes. the way that the, a certain pose can make somebody look very different or obviously the, the photoshopping to, you know, just make different parts of the body look slightly different, but the overall, um, the overall effect is quite large and we, we don't see that, Absolutely. but I think it's been, it's, it's really important to kind of go out and look for some of that information. Um, Absolutely. If this is, you know, yeah. And so I think, you know, uh, there's this wonderful thing about comparison is that we tend to have biases as well when we compare. Mm -hmm. So we tend to, there's these things like subject or assessment biases that um, I know therapists can speak about a lot uh, in CBTE, for example. Um, the subject one is that you would only compare to one type of person, right? So imagine you're on the beach and I think we've all been there. When you go mm -hmm. to the beach, you will literally pick the one good looking person on the beach and forget about all the other people. Hey, 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 what do you mean the one good looking person on the beach? <laughs> what I mean is like, we will pick who we see as per our standards, mm -hmm. who is mm -hmm. the most, the best looking according to our standards and only compare to that person. Mm -hmm. And and so we, it's almost like uh, we're not seeing all the people that are on the beach. Yeah. And, and we forget that bodies come in all shapes, sizes, and you have like people with, I have a really long torso, for example, and then you have people that have really short torso. And like, there's something magical about the fact that all bodies come in such a, a diversity, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. But we tend to forget about that because we only look at one type of body that we deem to be aesthetically pleasing, and then we will compare to that. Uh -huh. Or we will pick someone that has a body part that we crave to have as well. You know, we are talking about the six-pack abs when we started. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you will pick the one person that has six-pack abs and constantly compare to yours or imagine that if only you could have that. But then mm -hmm. you forget that everybody else on the beach might not have six-pack abs, right? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think the thing I, I most enjoy about going to the beach is going and watching how people in how everybody in different body sizes shapes colors is they're having fun like that's, exactly. that's the thing that I really that I really focus on these days is just the different ways that people are enjoying themselves whether it be in the water or hanging out with friends or yes. you know throwing a frisbee or a ball exactly. or something and none of that has anything to do with what your body looks like Absolutely. And I think that's really what um, I, I like to use also the metaphor of dogs. 
you know, we we agree that all dogs are not going to be the same shape and size and will eat differently. Mm-hmm. And we we just we have no problem with that. We're never going to ask a mastiff to turn into a poodle. We would mm-hmm. find that completely crazy. But <laughs> but we actually do that for humans, and mm-hmm. and we expect everybody to be a poodle. Uh, but it's just yeah. not possible. <laughs> Not possible. Some of us are Mastiffs, you know, yep. some of us are Dobermans, some of us are German Shepherds. Uh, it, it's just, we're all different. So I find that keeping in mind that body diversity when we are tempted to compare, it helps. And, you know, you could do that in real life if you are in a crowded mm-hmm. place, whether you're at the beach or in a place where people actually wear more clothes. Like it could be in the in the city, you know, go to a crowded uh, corner of the city and take a coffee and just look at people passing by, not from a sense of who's good looking, who's not good looking, who who do I want to look like, but more in the sense of I'm really going to witness all the different shapes yeah. and sizes, mm-hmm. colors mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, uh, ethnicities and uh, and seeing how wonderful that is that we're not yes. all the same oh it's so it's fantastic and it's, then yeah. and then i think you know uh on social media as you said it's about diversifying your social media feed uh and i know sometimes clients tell tell me when i recommend like accounts to follow they say but i can't connect to that person because she's so mm-hmm. different Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we're not asking you to connect. What we're asking you to do is just literally to see her showing up in your feed, because that will train your eye to actually see people that are fat, super fat, infinity fat, like whatever you can imagine, because we never see these people anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we need to really um, see this, not, not so much as is it beautiful, is it not beautiful, but as it just is. Yeah. And, and it's, and, you know, we might like it, not like, not like it, but we need to see more than 1% of the body types. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So that definitely helps us to feel um, more confident like, in ourselves. Like we're, yeah. we're part of the spectrum of people and that's, totally. you know, yeah. Totally. And, and, and that we're quote unquote in the norm, because what is the norm then? You know, mm-hmm. when you start looking at diversity, you're like, well, you know, being thin and being fat is the norm because the reality yeah. is there's also tons of people that live in larger bodies. And once you start seeing that, you're like, ha, ah, okay, that changes completely the way I was looking at things. So mm-hmm. um, then number three was, and I think it comes back to what you were saying about people enjoying themselves on the beach, is to really try and be in your body rather than seeing yourself from outside mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, so i'm i'm reading the book by Lex, lexi and Lindsay kite more mm-hmm. than a body okay I, I don't know if you read that one too mm-hmm. um, no i they, haven't they have they have this amazing account called beauty redefined they're both yep. uh, body image researchers and they have phds both of them and they're twins and they use the twin analogy to explain what is self objectification and what they're saying is because we live in a culture where women are typically presented represented in the media represented culturally as objects of desire because if you think, and the best example of that is movies are typically filmed from the uh, perspective of a male director, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of a mm-hmm. male watching females in the movies. So this is called the male gaze. It's a, it's a term that was coined in 1975. And the best example of that is a James Bond movie. 
So when the female character is coming out of the water, you know, after she swam or something happened, you have the, this really slow <laughs> look from like her toes to the top of her head, right? And it's really kind of detailing all her body parts mm. one by one. Well, that this feels is, that feels awful just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> yes, but the but now we know about it. You and me, we've mm-hmm. done that work, and we know about it, and we're like, oh, this is such BS, right? We don't. We, I mean, it's just ridiculous. But a lot of people t- still don't even know that this is just accepted as normal mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. women will be objectified in movies, for example, in series. And, you know, we will only represent them as, you know, on kind of slow, slow um, video of kind of looking at their different body parts. And so what happens is because we see that all the time as women, we internalize it mm-hmm. and then we start to self objectify yeah. and, Lexi and Lindsay Kite in their book, they, they talk about the, the twin, because they're twins, they talk about the twin comparison where they used to say to each other, you're fat, you're disgusting, you're this, you're mm. that. They mm-hmm. were really hard to each other because both of them had also internalized all of that stuff. And so growing up, they were kind of talking to each other in that way. And they're saying it's the self-objectification. It's almost like you would see yourself from outside and comment on your appearance, like you oh, would yeah. be somebody mm-hmm. external. Mm-hmm. And so the reality is what we can do to stop that and to stop constantly, instead of living our life, we're actually having this movie of how we look while we do activities, <laughs> for example. I mean, but does that make sense? Like, do you, yeah. do you remember yes. that? Like if you play yeah. on the beach, you will actually imagine is my body wiggly or am mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. like, if I do this, uh, is, you know, I don't know, is my love handle going to move a little bit or is my bum going to do things differently, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they noticed from research that this is something that mostly females experience. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's, it's really destructive because it, pushes us to also continuously change our appearance just to somehow try and fit this unrealistic ideal. Mm -hmm. But while doing that, we forget to live our lives, right? Because we're so busy going through what we look like looking from outside, we we don't actually enjoy the moments we have. Um, And this is, by the way, a research that was done in the UK. Um, Mm -hmm. In the UK at some point, uh, public health campaigns were uh, a little bit lost. Like the researchers didn't understand why women were less active than men in the Mm -hmm. UK. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they built more facilities and different communities and gave more access and still it wasn't getting better. And then finally they researched it properly and they found out that the one reason why females in the UK community in general, right, as a country, were less active than males was because they were concerned about how they would look while being active physically. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They would look sweaty. They would be jiggly. uh, They would, you know, their hair would fall out of place. And so this is typical self-objectification. If Mm -hmm. I don't look perfect while doing it, I'm just not going to do it. And no matter if it's going to be good for me and if it's going to make me feel good, to do the physical activity on a regular basis because I might look not nice while doing it. I'm not going to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they have developed this campaign called, um, this girl can, 
you can still find it on YouTube. Yeah. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And it's a wonderful campaign because you see women of all ages, all backgrounds, uh, just really moving, you know, and all body shapes. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So how does that then sort of play into people that have HA who typically are exercising a lot? And, you know, how, how does how do you think that self-objectification happens there? So it's I obviously mean, not, a, not it's not a case of not wanting to exercise because of the no. way your body's looking while exercising. It's almost the opposite. So it's how to how to maintain a certain appearance right and if i don't if i step out of my routine i might not keep that body i mm, sculpted mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um but it's all the same it's all an overvaluation of our appearance in yep. our self-worth where's my self-worth as a woman if it's all wrapped up in my body image then you know, I have to do these things because otherwise I'm, I'm worthless. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Uh, this is exactly what I used to think. I used to think that if I changed, if I gained weight, got a bit more flabby, whatever age, whatever it's going to be, then I, I would not have any worth. Um, and, and I would just kind of struggle in life. Um, so I think one of the big things for HA patients going through recovery, um, is to work on getting your self-worth from more than your appearance, right? Mm -hmm. So really work on what is it that makes me, me, what is it that makes me unique? And I think you and I are very lucky because we're so passionate about what we do that it's very easy for us now to say, I don't give a damn if I have yeah. gray hair or no makeup or green hair or and what people <laughs> think about me. Because every day I'm actually doing something that I enjoy doing, I'm passionate about, I keep thinking of how I can develop. And this is really what makes me unique. Um, but for others, it could be, I'm an ex- extremely dedicated and loving mother. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a wonderful daughter. I am a scientist. I am uh, very gifted in being creative. I can sing in- incredibly well. Like this is really what we need to foster in yep. recovery outside of appearance, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing with body comparison is, um, is to, we usually think that people having the quote unquote perfect body, if we see that person on the beach, right, we go back to our beach scenario, yep, yep. we will think that if they have this body, they are not struggling with body image, eating disorders, uh, health difficulties related to restriction or, you know, they can, we cannot imagine that they would be anything else and happy and, mm-hmm. and loving their bodies, but Body image is in the head. So yep. you could have the quote unquote perfect body and hate yourself mm-hmm. in the same way that you have quote unquote a body that is not perfect as per what the standards tell us from outside um, and, and feel great because mm-hmm. you're totally comfortable with the way you look. That idea of hating ourselves, like that to me is really key. I think there's so we're so encouraged by our, by the society that we're in to look 
for the negatives about ourselves and things yeah. that we can improve and things that we can make better and constantly be working on that self-improvement. And, um, you know, I think so much of that comes from the advertising that we see, like, you know, wouldn't you look better if you had this product? Wouldn't you look better if you had this product? Wouldn't you feel better? And so we're, we get this constant negative talk from outside ourselves, from outside, and then we internalize it. And so we're constantly, I mean, I, I think that's one thing that I, that I really find with people is that they're much more negative towards themselves than they are to anybody around them. And, yeah. you know, yeah. So it's just the, this idea of, hating yourself it's like that I think that's really the core of the issue almost is that feeling of you're not valuable you're not worthy you should you should be better you should you know you should you should you should right totally right and you know there's a we know that there's a direct link between the fact that we live in a patriarchy and a capitalist society and if you are not seen as productive financially, like you're not, you're basically worthless. And so that's mm -hmm. why we're also, and the pandemic has shown that in a terrible way that we don't invest in things like healthcare, education, like places where it really matters to mm -hmm. us as humans, we don't invest in because we feel like this is not bringing any money. Um, And, and all of this, yes, of course, it's not just the culture. It's also that there's this massive industry, massive lobby that keeps making a ton of money out of our insecurities. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, the whole going back to my discussion with the hairdresser over dyeing your hair or not dyeing your hair, if it hurts your scalp, um, I'm not judging anybody who would dye their hair regardless and take the pills. I'm, this is like, you do you, right? She, she's yeah. happy to do that. And I get it because she's a hairdresser. She's in that environment day in, day out. And she feels like it's important to her to do that and to keep up with the standards of the profession. So you don't always have that choice. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, but I think still, keeping a perspective on these things and realizing that nothing is wrong with us. Really. Yeah. yeah. It's just the messaging that we evolve in the lobbies that work around those insecurities. This is really what the problem is, yeah. but our bodies are fine exactly as they are. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that would be kind of my, my four key points when it comes to body comparison. Well, so there, there are other places where we often see people comparing in their journeys into and out of hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, so I think it sort of starts sometimes with people comparing the way that they, you know, the way that they eat or the way they exercise with somebody next to them. And, you know, people are like, well, she has her period, you know, why don't I have my period? And, you know, I think that's, yes. that can be really, that can be really hard to recognize that, we are each unique individual people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I keep pointing out, we have our own unique genetics and that's part of what's at play here is that, you know, my, my reproductive system or my hypothalamic system is different from the person next to me. So whatever works for them is not necessarily what's going to work for me. And so recognizing that we have to treat our own bodies the best way for us. And so first, you know, that, that can really vary in terms of the amount of exercise, the amount of food, um, yes. the amount of rest. 
Because there's also your own history behind mm -hmm. it, you know. Yep. And in the episode we did with Meg, she talks about it very well as well. She says, for someone with my legacy, with my mm -hmm. food and eating disorder legacy, I cannot afford to go on any diet yep. for the rest of my life. So I think it's, yeah, we, we all have genetics and histories and we might have been raised completely differently from one to another. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, something that I found was fascinating in my recovery was this study called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. ACE. ACE, right? ACE. So they, they make you count like what kind of adverse childhood experiences you've had. And if you go over, I think six or something like this, they, they tell you that you have more chances to develop chronic diseases, mm -hmm. uh, not just mental health disorders, because you've been dealing with that trauma, but literally diseases like heart, you know, cardiovascular, diabetes, all of these things that are related wow. to your immune system. You just have naturally more chances of developing mm -hmm. them just because you've been raised a certain way and you've witnessed violence you've witnessed mental health disorders maybe you've been abused maybe you've been shouted at maybe you've been hurt like all of these things play a role so how can you compare I might be in exactly the same size and shape as somebody else which already would never happen but imagine yes. <laughs> imagine it happens the fact that I lived through a difficult childhood might influence completely my metabolism mm -hmm. compared to someone mm -hmm. else. Yep. So I remember thinking that is pretty amazing. And, you know, sometimes we see those things and we're like, oh, but does that mean that whatever I'm doing, I'm, I'm doomed, right? Mm -hmm. It means I, I, I can't do anything for my health. No, you can definitely take care of yourself. But definitely you have maybe, what, 25% of your health in your hands? It's 75% is outside of your hands and your control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And also remembering, I mean, what I often say is that when you have HA, you've taken behaviors that are generally, generally healthy and just taken them too far. So you're exercising too much. You're not eating enough, you know, I mean, not to say that restrictive eating is healthy, but just, you know, generally eating whole foods and, you know, less processed foods, you know, in general, that's healthy. I'm not going to argue that, but it's, if that's the only thing that you ever eat and it means that you're not actually getting the energy that your body needs, then it, then it goes beyond healthy. And then, you know, then it needs to be turned, then it needs to be turned around a little bit. Um, Crucially. It's yeah, the level so, of impairment, right? How yeah. impaired are you in your daily life? Mm -hmm. If you can go through paying attention to what you pick to eat and how you want to exercise, but it's not really stopping you to go out spontaneously or it's not stopping you to have cake when it's there's a birthday in the office, whatever, then you're probably good with it, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal to you. But if it starts to be completely obsessive and all you have in your life is your food and in your exercise plans, then you're yep. effectively in eating disorder land. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So another another thing that I wanted to bring up about comparison is in our support group, we ask people not to share weight numbers or, you know, the amount of calories they've been eating if it's, you know, significantly less than what we recommend um, or, you know, size information, like clothing sizes. And we, we get a lot of pushback on that, but I think that's really talking, you know, it, it, it all wraps into what we've been talking about that when you talk about, you know, the amount of weight that one person has, that one person gains in order to recover their period or their health has 
literally nothing to do with the amount of weight that nothing. the person next to them is going to gain. And so, but, sure. yet, but yet it leads to comparison. And if somebody says they gained X pounds, then, and it's on the lower side, then the, then the next person is like, well, you know, I had to gain so much more and now I feel, you know, now I feel horrible about myself. And so, you know, we get it there. I think there's a sort of lack of understanding from so many people about how even these small numbers get into our heads and sort of force us to feel less than and not as good. And so that's really the reason that we ask people not to share numbers in our support group. Um, and, yeah. you know, generally in life, it's, you know, the amount we, we, we always say the amount that you weigh and we talk about it in the book, you know, the absolute number on the scale has literally no value. And, you know, yeah. the amount you gain has no value. It's simply that's what your body needed. Um, yeah. So. And, and I think, you know, we, I mean, in, in my practice as well, working with clients on body image when they recover, it's also about let's detach ourselves from numbers mm-hmm. and external ways of calculating yeah. if our bodies are good or bad, you know. Uh, some people get attached to how many calories they burn. Some mm-hmm. people get attached to how many steps they've taken. Yep. And, and, most of it is ludicrous, right? We know the 10,000 steps comes from nothing. <laughs> it comes from suddenly like some, I don't remember what the story was, but it was like some, suddenly some Japanese company said, oh, 10,000 sounds good. They might have uh-huh. said 5,000, 7,000, who cares, right? Yep. It's not related to anything. And then we get stuck on that. And mm-hmm. even if we're tired, if we're, if we're unwell, we, we don't have a period. It's almost like, would you go running on a broken foot? No. Well, if you don't have a period, don't go running either, because this is also mm-hmm. your body showing you stuff. So mm-hmm. definitely what I try to do, and I think we both do that, is detach our clients from counting, measuring, yep. measuring food, measuring weight, measuring calories, measuring time spent on the treadmill, measuring. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> now it's even, you know, all these scales that have like, fat levels so it's not uh-huh. just that you measure your weight it's like my fat has gone to this percentage from that percentage and you're like no just just keep a little you know, aside it's mostly water changes not fat changes that those things measure <laughs> well thank you yeah I mean so I think all in all it's about just uh, how do we connect to how we feel yeah and 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 it is difficult in recovery to do that because we mostly have been disconnected from how we feel mm-hmm. for a long time. When we are engaging in dieting and over-exercising, we effectively are constantly detached from our feelings. You're tired? Still, better go do that workout. Mm-hmm. You're hungry? Can't. It's not time it's not, to eat. not time to eat, yes. Have a, <laughs> yeah, have a big glass of water. You can eat in two hours. I mean... Of course, after that, you feel completely uneasy about what mm-hmm. is it that I feel. It's mm-hmm. almost like you lost the, the the sensation. So it takes time, but it comes yeah. back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think that was probably it for today, right? Body yeah, comparison. I think that's actually a really good place to end that, you know, connecting yeah. with your body and your feelings of hunger and fullness, you know, and your sense of self and your sense, your, your, your worth, um, you know, connecting with all of that and keeping it internal and focused on yourself as opposed to what's outside you. And, you know, I think that's a really, 
I, I think that's a really good place to end. And I think that's that's how we are all in as well, mm-hmm. still, right? We're, we're recovered for a long time. But I, I feel like I'm still all in, in that sense. Yes. You know, we ask ourselves at the end of each episode, how are you all in right now? Well, I mean, making that effort to constantly focus to what I feel, what I want, what I need, rather than what people say I should be doing, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. Uh, this message on social media says is good for you or is a yep. superfood. No, <laughs> I mean, you know, I uh, I don't know. I mean, great, great, the, all these superfoods, but celery juice is not going to cure cancer i mean let's be honest so i think uh and if definitely if if you force yourself to have celery juice and it's horrible to you it's probably not going to do much for you Mm -hmm. right Mm um there's this tiny element of pleasure that is quite important in the way (laughs) that you see food so yeah that was great thank you so much oh thank you this has been i think this has been really helpful and uh, you know I, cool. I think a lot of people that I talk to you know these are often questions that come up so I really appreciate sharing everything that you know and anytime um, yeah and yeah. let's enjoy hopefully the summer of vaccination yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, for all the lucky ones that are able to get a vaccine you know and uh, let's let's um, try to stay in our lane and really focus on what makes sense for us rather mm-hmm. than constantly comparing yes so yes. all right see you in two uh, weeks yes see you bye bye all right i hope you enjoyed this episode um maybe take a few minutes to reflect on it and how you have been all in this past week it always strikes me how different each person's all in journey is as i often say there are many paths to ha and many paths out of it your journey is unique That is so true. And if you need more support on your journey, you should definitely start with No Period Now What, which you can get at noperiod.info slash book. And Florence and I both work with people on different aspects of period recovery and so much more. So if you'd like more personal advice and attention, you can go to noperiod.info slash appointments to schedule a time to speak with me on fixing the issues underlying your missing periods and figuring out what those issues are. And I'm at beyondbodyimage.com to work with me on the deeper emotional issues and your body image. I also run a French Instagram account, Aminore underscore FR. And obviously you can find Nicola at No Period Now What on Instagram. We also have joined clients, so you can access both our domains of expertise at the same time. If you enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please drop us a review to help more people find it. Also, join the No Period Now What Recovery Support Group at noperiod.info slash support and let us know how All In is going for you. All In is not just about period recovery, it's about getting your life back. See you in two weeks. You were lost in Babylon, you got lost again. You were lost in Babylon, now find yourself in them. Take all that you've learned about what love and loss, pleasure and pain, and never get lost. 
never get lost again.